life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. host, Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Cynthia Bishop. She's a relationship catalyst, founder of leadership founder of Leadership Speaks. She is passionate about leading by example and holds her clients accountable to do the same. Cynthia, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be with you today, Amy, and I am very honored to be interchanging with the number five podcaster on iTunes. So congratulations to you for that. Oh, thank you so much. So share with us, how did you become a leadership coach and why did you start Leadership Speaks? As a teacher, I believe that a teacher in the classroom is a leader. And so as I began to evolve out of the classroom into larger leadership roles, I had great leaders that took me under their wing and they helped me to discover the gifts that I had that I could contribute in the arena of leadership. And so I just began to study it. And I think the reason why it's so important to me is because I want to serve in the lives of others and for them. And so I started Leadership Speaks after I retired from education, 34 years in education. And I just realized that in all the leadership training and coaching that I had, that we were trying to fix broken adults. And so it just came to me in the middle of the night. Oh, my goodness. I sat up in the middle of the bed and I said, we're waiting too late to teach these skills of leadership until someone is in the work world and to get an adult to change their behavior is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I started Leadership Speaks to dip down and start teaching these skills early on to young students so that they could design and be inspired to have the life that they want. So in walking through your journey, what are you grateful for? Relationships. I am so grateful that I have the capacity and the confidence to interact with a complete stranger. Sometimes it takes me a little while in the grocery store because I'm not an online grocery shopper. I want to go to the grocery store. That's one of the great places to interact with people. And I'm just really grateful that I have those skills of building relationships. And I take pride in the relationships that I've built over my lifetime because I would hope that someone would say that I know Cynthia, and because I know her, I can call on her no matter if I've not seen her in a week, a month, a year, or five years, I can still call upon her. That's what I'm most grateful for is my people connection. Yeah. So why are human skills and soft skills just as important as establishing culture? Let's think about any organization from a family to a business. They're built, there's four aspects to any organization of people. Number one is the physical. And that's the plants, how beautiful the building is, the paint on the walls. We can do, we can change those things quite easily. The second aspect of an organization is the structural, the procedural, all the things that govern our work on a daily basis, even in a family. The third aspect is behavioral. 
this is the biggest part of establishing culture because the base of the triangle of an organization is the culture, but you don't achieve the culture that you want until you get into the work of the behavior of the people who are in it. So culture exists regardless, but if you want an ideal culture, then you have to start deciding what behaviors do you want to show up every day so that you can direct the actions and the reactions of the people on a daily basis, because that's what creates the culture. It is those soft skills, those human skills that are often lacking. And that's why we can't have the ideal culture that we envision, whether it's in our family, whether it's in a classroom of students that I love, or whether it's in the organization that I'm a part of. It is the human skills that help to create the culture where everybody in the morning, they stick their key in the ignition of their car or they turn on their key fob and they say, oh, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to be a part of these people. And so that's why the human skills are so vitally important to me and to the culture. Yeah, definitely. So how does the skill of listening help you lead? If you're not listening, you cannot learn. I already know what I know. If I want to learn, I need to be listening when another person is talking. And I don't mean listening to speak. I mean, listening to really take in the accurate facts and feelings that a person is sharing. I divide the world up in two different kinds of problems, technical problems, relationship problems. And technical problems, if I'm not listening, I cannot be a part of helping lead someone to their solution or help find the solution to to address that technical problem. Relationship problems, I don't want to create the learned helpless. So I need to be listening to whoever it is that is exchanging with me. And I need to just ask the right questions and open the door so that they are arriving at their own solution and empower them to own it. And so the only way that happens is if we listen, if we're speaking, we can't learn anything. And so I just believe that listening is the most underused skill around the world, everywhere. Yeah. So why do you believe everybody is a leader? Because I believe in divine creation. And I believe that at inception, that every child is born and designed with unique gifts to contribute to the world. And I believe that everyone has the capacity to lead inside them and that leadership can be learned. I don't believe that leaders are born. I don't believe that you're just born a leader. I believe that leadership is something that a person has to choose Therefore, it's learnable, if that's a word. It's learnable. And I just believe that some like to lead from center stage. Some people like to lead from the sides. Some people like to lead from behind the curtain. And we need all of those leadership types because sometimes when we're leading, the act of leading is for us to follow. And I think that's why leadership is so important. And I believe that it is there inside of every person. And I feel like 
My job as a leadership coach is to unlock that potential that's inside of a person to the degree or to the place at which they would like to lead, whether it's in their family, their workplace, or in their community. So why is it important to confront situations early on? Oh, wow. Would you agree that we have plenty of conflict to go around in the world? (laughs) And I would say that it's important to confront early on before the logic and the emotion of the person who's dealing with a problem of another person's behavior. If we just slide it under the rug or put it underneath the saddle, like you're riding a horse and you're just putting it underneath the saddle, eventually that stickaburr or that cockaburr is going to explode. And when we explode, we do damage. Sometimes we do damage that we cannot ever, what's the word, come back from. I can't think of my word right now. But I just believe that confronting a conflict, a people behavior problem, I have a problem with another person's behavior. The greatest act of respect that I can extend to that human being is to confront that problem with empathy and humility before it becomes a dragon all of its own and I explode. Because think about this, sometimes that person, they don't even know that their behavior is bothering you. If you don't confront it, how will anything ever change between you? And you confront with empathy and humility because I need that person's help to create the change that I'm looking for. And so confronting early on, for me, I believe that it eliminates the need for conflict resolution. That's really good. Because once you get to conflict resolution, somebody's going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And I want it to be a win-win. Yeah. And yeah, everyone just seems to take way too long to address those things. And it's, and it's, it's easy to do. It's easy just to, oh, I'm going to overlook it, but then it piles up and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Let me tell you this. Anytime that you have a problem with another person's behavior, you have three choices. You have three choices. One is just what you said. I can live with it. I'm not going to do a thing about it. But when you agree to that in your mind, then you can't go to the water cooler and be talking about that person and what they're doing. You can't go into the family and talk about that person because you've said, I'm not going to do anything about it. And when you say that, it's over with. I can live with it. Let go of it. The second choice you have is to remove yourself. If I'm at work and you're playing your loud music, I either can put headphones on I can go find another quiet office space that I can work in, but I'm removing myself from whatever it is that's bothering me. So once again, I'm agreeing to make the change. Number one, I made the change. Number two, I made the change. Here's number three. I can go to that person and ask for their help to make this change. That takes practice and it takes people getting confident with the emotional perspective and getting them to think about what could the fallout be by going to this person. But in reality, if you stay in it with the person and with that empathy and humility, in time, you are so likely to resolve that issue that's between you 
And you are going to create a deeper bond with that person because it tells that person they will confront me. She will confront me. And I trust her because she didn't take it to the water cooler. She didn't take it to the the break room. And she confronted me about it with empathy. And I just think that will resolve so many problems that we're having in the world if we could just learn to do that. Yeah, definitely. So what's your definition of self-awareness and why is it key for leaders? Self-awareness is me being able to recognize my strengths, my limitations, and do that with a well-grounded sense of confidence, optimism, and a growth mindset. Because I believe that we are all a work in progress and that what I know today, if I choose to know more tomorrow and the day after that, I can become all that I'm meant to be regarding my purpose and the way that I want to show up in the world. And I think that self-awareness is so important for leaders because it's the foundation of their emotional intelligence. And so we have to know how we are showing up in the world and how others are perceiving us. And then in turn, by becoming more self-aware, as we were talking earlier, we don't have any difficulties talking to people. But what about the person who's introverted? And I'm approaching them. I'm the supervisor and I'm approaching that person who is introverted. If I go in there overtaking them, that's not going to turn out very well. (laughs) So I have to make adaptations. I have to be flexible and I have to tone down my strength of connecting with people and not overwhelm that introvert. And so self-awareness helps us look at our strengths. Strength overused is a weakness because it it becomes too much. I understand that with my extrovertedness, my extroversion self, that I can become obnoxious if I'm not keeping it under control. So that self-awareness is the foundation for any leader to begin developing into the best leader that they can possibly be. So we talked to, you shared a little bit about why you shifted to helping young adults. But can you share a little bit more of why, why you feel like that is going to be the better approach and why it might be easier? And maybe you can share a little bit of some of the experiences you've had with that. I believe that for learning to take place, there can be no element of fear and that learning takes place when we make mistakes. But think about it. My greatest learning that I can remember is when I literally fell down and busted my knees open. And that is when your mind is open to learning how not to let that happen again. And we have this world where everybody looks perfect. Everybody acts perfect. That's not reality. And so in the classroom, it's very important that every student understands not everyone is like me. There are those that are caretakers. They're the peacemakers. They want, they want harmony. 
There are others in the classroom that they never stop talking. And so the peacemakers like, why will they not stop talking? They're just talking. You have others that want to tell everybody what to do. They want to take that command role. And then you have others that are like, I don't care what any of y'all are saying. I want the details. I want to understand why are you telling me to do this? And what is the outcome that you're wanting me to accomplish? So I think the earlier that we begin to teach students that we were designed this way for a purpose and that it's called balance, because let's talk about if we only had the command and the control type of personality, how would we get anything done? We'd be fighting all the time as to who's going to be in charge. If everybody was like me and the social butterfly, we'd be having a great party, but how are we ever going to get anything accomplished? We'll have a good time, but we need to accomplish the outcome. When you're looking at the peacemaker, the traditional, the one who is the harmonizer, they're slow to action because they can't do anything until they know that everyone else is okay with what we've decided. And then when you look at the conscientious personality that's down to the details, I don't want your opinion. I wanna know the facts and you need to give me some data so that I know what you're talking about. And so as I experienced this more and more as adult, as an adult, I just thought, what would a classroom be like? Classroom management, they would begin to take control of classroom management. And I believe that if we leverage our greatest asset, which are students, and the reason why I say that, there's 15 students for every one adult, and it may be up to 20 now because of our teacher shortage. There's 15 to 20 kids for every one adult. So why would you not leverage your most abundant resource, which are your students, to create the culture and make them a part of leading that culture? And so that, that's why I started focusing on these young people. And then, as I said earlier, so that they wouldn't become broken adults. Yeah. And I realize I'm not pie in the sky. We can't eliminate. There's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be conflict. Even if you're just living in the house with a pet, there's conflict when two living beings come together. But if we can begin to learn how to deal with our differences in a respectful and loving way, I just think that kids will have the opportunity to open their minds up to learning and truly become lifelong learners and start choosing the career that they want to go in wiser, more excited. And everyone's not going to a four-year university. That's great. We have entrepreneurs that are 18 years old that are already making a million bucks. And I just wish I had their brain. <laughs> we have people that want to go into the family business. We have people that want to go into the military. We need all of these people. We need plumbers. We need, we need HVAC. And we need to make the way for everyone to feel worthy of the career that they choose and to love people along the way and accept them for who they are. So what do you think has been your truth that has gotten you this far in your journey? It's not about me. My truth is, it is not about me. It is about anyone that is put into my pathway that I'm there to serve them. 
whether they are looking for an item in the grocery store and they can't find it, whether they are at the gas station and something's wrong with their car and nobody seems to be coming to the rescue, whether it's a student in the classroom who seems to be struggling with their relationship with a particular teacher, whether it's one of my staff that they are having difficulty. My truth is it's not about me. It is about them. So can you share some of your client success stories? I'm going to tell you my favorite one was the first group of kids and teachers that I worked with. I had two girls that were in the training and they, it was a small school. They knew of each other, but they had never interacted. And on the third day of the training, we do a little closing activity where we write personal recognition statements to somebody in the room other than me, other than their teachers, because I'm trying to get the students to acknowledge the behavior of another individual, how it made you feel and the impact that you, that it had on you. So I had these two girls and I'm asking for volunteers because you never force a student to speak in front of other students. That's just a no-no. So one of the girls, I believe they were two grades apart. One was a sophomore. No, they were sophomore and junior. And the junior stood up and she said, I'll read mine. So she read her recognition statement to the sophomore. And you could hear the air in the room. It was just <gasps> because we couldn't believe how thought provoking, how emotional it was, because she said to this young girl, if I had not been here for these three days, I would have continued to look at you across the campus, never approaching to have a conversation with you. And now after these three days, I have a friend forever and I will always remember you. And I look forward to how we're going to continue our friendship beyond this class. Then the little sophomore popped up. She had written the recognition statement to the junior. And neither one of them knew this. Oh, wow. And so she said to her basically the same thing. And I just got tears in my eyes because these two people had the opportunity to connect. And that connection was so deep because they had this experience together. I had another young man who said to me, I finally now, because what you have taught me, I've had a positive conversation with my stepmom for the first time. That's huge because there's so many blended families out there. I had an adult technology supervisor who said to me, who wrote to me in an email, she said, I, I can't believe I'm already using what you've taught me. And it has changed the way that I communicate with my adult daughter. And we are now having the most wonderful conversations. Oh, wow. And so I think if you can change a personal life, I always tell people, think about yourself at home and practice this at home. Then bring it to your school, your workplace, your community, because then it's a part of you. And so these individuals were really going out and using exactly what they learned. And so I think that those are some of my greatest success stories. And I can't wait to just keep adding to them in the years to come. Definitely. So if you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out in your journey, what would it be? Ooh, patience, because I really don't have a lot. 
I wanted to create Leadership Speaks and it just be the thing that everybody was after. And you have to have patience and you have to grow. And I now know things like elevator speech, because when people would ask me, so Cynthia, what is this new thing that you're doing? And what are you doing now that you've retired from education? I couldn't tell them in less than 30 minutes. Nobody wants to hear 30 minutes. They want to hear four sentences that are the essence of who you are, what you're doing and why you're doing it. So patience. I think the second thing is never underestimate a network of peers. And I think that I can be very grateful for the pandemic because it forced me into the virtual world, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why I've met you. Mm -hmm. And I have created this network of my peers now that are on the same service leadership journey that I'm on from around the world. I have friends in Ireland. I have friends in Portugal. I've just got friends all around the world. And that's my advice that I would say to my younger self when I first started Leadership Speaks. I think it's five years ago now. I said four, but I think I've been up and running for five years. You have to be patient create the network of peers that will give you support, but will also give you critical feedback because that's the only way we grow is with that critical feedback that is shared with us in love, in true love of what it is that we're all trying to do. So Cynthia, if there's somebody that's listening and would love to work with you, what's the best way to contact you? Definitely email or phone. I have a website and my, my company is called Leadership Speaks, but my, the program that I've designed that I'm so proud of is My Choice to Lead. So if they just Google My Choice to Lead, they'll find me. And then my email is Cynthia at MyChoiceToLead.com. And on there's my phone number. And I have phone calls from strangers every day. And I always answer. And I'm just looking forward to all the great things that possibly are going to happen in helping people really become that leader that's inside of them and unleash it for all the right reasons. I will also put all of your links down below. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise. If you're listening, you want more information about this podcast or upcoming shows, you can visit a call to thrive.com. Thank you everyone and have a wonderful week.